So how was Independence Day? Independence Day? Oh. You mean after Brexit? Oh, jeez. Which one to start with? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Independence Day before Brexit. Or... Yeah, so I went to see Independence Day Resurgence. And it was... I said to you, it was much as you'd expect from Independence Day. It was basically... It was a bit shit. We both agree that Independence Day, the original, was good. Was it good? I saw the original Independence Day four times at the cinema because I went with various different groups of people. But you enjoyed it, otherwise you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I did enjoy it. I thought it was an okay film, and for nostalgia reasons, it's been 20 years since the original Independence Day film, and they made a sequel, so I thought, yeah, let's go and see it. It was kind of okay. Worse. But at least it has pew-pew lasers. And I heard they're remaking Stargate as well. I never watched Stargate. I really liked Stargate SG-1. I liked Stargate SG-1 as a more gung-ho version of Star Trek. Less QQ, more pew-pew, as they say. So, um, you know, where QQ looks like a pair of crying eyes. It's like, less QQ, more pew-pew. And then also, in QQ news, Brexit. What the fuck? Are we a political podcast as well? (laughs) I thought we were a British podcast. Yes, we are, but go on, Brexit. Well, I, I'm gonna, you, I'm gonna. Did t- you vote? No. I, I can say I voted for Remain, so my hopes were dashed. I'm trying to make us apolitical. I suppose you would not expect politics on a, a computer game podcast. I, I'm just really surprised. I'm really surprised voted for Exit. Actually, yeah, I could, I could talk about this for ages, but I will, let's not talk about it. You got it. five minutes. <laughs> I've got five minutes. Well, it was also very interesting. The Guardian had a like a demographic breakdown. No, I have to dispute that thing. That's really ropey, <laughs> ropey breakdown of those those plots, I think. I just thought it was quite controversial. It was basically like educated rich people vote for Remain. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's basically the gist of it. And I was just like, ooh. I think it's a lot more subtle than that. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously more subtle I than didn't, that. I didn't like some this, of the Guardians. This is like, yeah, I know. I mean, this is tarring things with a very broad brush. I mean, everyone's different. Everyone had their own reasons for voting leave or remain. It's not fair or safe to generalise it. But I would say there have been some hilarious and terrible things come out since. There was the interview with that guy who said, so why did you vote exit and how do you feel about now? And he's like, oh, well, I didn't think we'd actually leave the EU if I voted exit. It's like, then why did you vote exit if you didn't want to leave the EU? Why did you vote exit? I don't think yeah, some no, people I... engaged their brain before they voted. Mm, some said next time they would vote the other way. It's like, there's no next time. There's no next time, guys. I was eating my delicious uh, nachos of cheese in the cinema. Mm. Mm, delicious. I had um, I made a feta in spinach pie last night. <laughs> I was munching through that this morning. That's such a Guardian Reader snack. <laughs> Just going to say it right now. Where's your Greg's Cornish pasty? There's no Greg's here. That's true, there's no Greg's here. Where's your wonton noodle soup? Can't do wonton noodle soup. Can't do wonton noodle soup? Can't do it. Why? To give you a funny tummy? You're too British. You're none of that foreign mark. Yeah, I need I need proper carbs. I don't want... I want bread. I want bread. Or pastries. Pasties. Mm, yeah. I've been buying... I've been buying bread from M&S. Because the bread in Hong Kong just tastes too sweet. The M&S bread actually tastes like bread should taste to my tastes, which is quite fucking expensive. It's like three pounds for half a loaf of bread. He said it. Mike has expensive taste. Said it. (sighs) 
So now we've got 10 minutes of ramble chat to, to cut down. Are we good to go? I think we're good to go. A bit of Brexit, go. a bit of Independence Day, a bit of lunch. Yeah. So we can start the podcast? Yeah, we should. So who are you? Who are you? I am. No, I don't like, I don't like to give myself a name because I don't know what to give myself. I, I can't, I don't want to sound ridiculous. I don't want to make myself ridiculous. I'll leave that to you. Okay, so now we're back to the how to start the podcast. It's fine, you're Sir Michael. This is fine. This is clear. You're Sir Michael. Subtitle you can decide on. Uh, I'm sticking with pretentious dickhole. Fine, let's go with that. And I am... Ting Ting. Your ever faithful... Manservant. Yeah. I still it's prefer fine. Ting Ting the Panda, but I know you're not keen on that. I can do that, it's fine. As long as it's not, it's not all the time. Welcome to Lost Lovers Club. We're a book club for games. And... Today is... We're a book club today. Today is an actual book club episode about... Dark Souls 3. Which we've been playing for actually freaking ages. At least it has been the book club game for freaking ages. Mm-hmm. I finished it a month ago. And I started a second playthrough. I mean, only a second playthrough. You can see I'm not, I'm not as hardcore a Dark Souls player as some others. Although I have watched a number of Let's Plays. And you... It feels like I've been playing it for freaking ages, but probably haven't. Oh no, it's a, it's a bit of both. I have been playing it a lot, but I'm not very good at it. So progress has been really slow. I think if it's your first Souls game, progress is slow to begin with. It takes a while to get into the flow of them and get the, the tropes. Can you drive? Yes. It's like when you learn to drive, you think you've got it down, then you realise, shit, I have to move the car when it's on a hill. And then... Yeah, I think there are certain... Because I've played Demon's Souls, Dark Souls, Dark Souls 2, Bloodborne, I think that there are things that I'm obviously doing just without thinking about. And it's not obvious to me that I'm doing them until I watch you try and play. And I'm thinking, why isn't he doing XYZ? Or why on earth is he doing ABC? So sometimes it pays off. It has okay. been quite interesting watching you play. Yeah, so without the coaching, it would have been a lot more painful, I think. So maybe in the first 10 hours, there were a couple of times when I streamed it and you watched it over SharePlay. Well, I was going to say, take a step back. Okay. You've been playing it on PS4. Yeah. I've been playing it on PC. And you have occasionally been SharePlaying it to me. Yeah. On my PS4. But because we're playing on different platforms, I can't come and help you directly. So we can't summon each other. Otherwise, that probably would have been a good way to get you through a few difficult areas. But I don't know if I would have learned as much. I have no problem with doing it this way. So Mike saw how I was just umming and ahhing so much about every freaking decision. And a lot of the time it was to do with armor, weapons, leveling up. So even those stupid things, which shouldn't take much time at all, I would spend a few, maybe five, ten minutes on a wiki trying to work out what I want to be doing, planning for the future. But I do totally see where you're coming from, because I remember the first time I played Dark Souls having exactly the same problem and agonizing over where to put each stat point, each level up, and thinking, I don't really understand how I'm supposed to play this game. Am I supposed to be figuring out if there's a weapon that I want to use and looking on the wiki to identify, oh, I want to be able to use this weapon, so I need to start working on my build towards using this weapon. 
I think also this has become easier in Dark Souls 2 and 3 because they will allow you to reallocate stat points. So it's actually not quite as final a decision as it was uh, in the in the first game. But you, you certainly can be freer about it. And I think that's maybe what my encouragement to you was, just like, I just put it anywhere, it's fine. You know, like, you never go wrong putting it in health. Or do you want strength? Just put it in strength. So that's what, whenever you were coaching me, it was, I was much more YOLO about everything. But when you, when you weren't watching, those deaths still hurt me. Yeah, Each one still hurt me. It, it was very interesting, again, to see on SharePlay, you were having a lot of trouble with, well, I wasn't there when you fought the tutorial boss, but I think that was a bit of a struggle to begin with. And then the first proper boss, which is Vort of the Boreal Valley, you really struggled with that. And I think it took you many attempts and you were taking a long time to get to the boss as well because you were fighting every enemy. You seemed to feel like you couldn't move through an area until you'd killed everything in the area. And I was just saying, just just run past them. Just run past them. Just ignore them. You're trying to kill the boss. Just forget everything else then. Just run straight for the boss. Yeah, and that was very different to me. Most games expect you to clear out the area and everything's dead. You're like a... What the hell do they... How do they describe how Doom is? You're just there to... Like a garbage man or cleaner. You're just cleaning out the enemies. Yeah, maybe. And just doing a sweep of it. The whole level. I think Dark Souls 2 is much friendlier to new players. They realise that new players think like this. And in Dark Souls 2, if you've killed an enemy 10 times, it doesn't respawn. So eventually you will just have a clear run to the boss if you've really failed 10 times in a row. But the other games in the Souls series don't work like that and enemies always respawn. And it just becomes much more efficient to run past them. So have I said, have I admitted that I've not finished the game? No, we haven't said any of that. We haven't even said spoilers for Dark Souls 3 and spoilers for Dark Souls 1 and 2 and Bloodborne and Demon Souls probably too. Like spoilers for all of them. I, I don't, I'm not going to hold back. Okay. And you haven't finished the game because you're a scrub game. and you need to get good. I do need to get good. So how long have you played? It's like 30 hours. And where did you get to? I got to the... I killed the Abyss Watchers. But 15 goes it took me. A lot of time. And you didn't do the Deacons of the Deep. No. Which might have contributed to why you found the Abyss Watchers so difficult. I meant to do Deacons of the Deep first. I personally think the Deacons of the Deep is probably an easier fight. And you would have leveled up more if you'd done that first. If you'd gone down that branch first. But over time that... That loop where you're going to the the boss fight with the Abyss Watchers, you're always leveling up. Because those Black Knights will take, I don't know if this is how you did it, but I just let those Black Knights take, clear out that area for me and I get a thousand souls every time. And then I'll just do a Homeward Bone. Homeward Bone? Yeah. As the, the boss fight starts and I'll level up that way. Interesting. To me, this sounds insane. But... It worked. I guess it worked, yeah. I didn't really do any deliberate farming this time round. I just, all, I was always an alright level. I finished the game at about level 80 and I did all the optional bosses and so I played 47 hours, I think. Well, at the time we were writing down the notes. And that was enough for me to have finished the game with the, the end of fire ending. So that's with 
having done the optional bosses as well. What next to say? Maybe just one more thing about progress. Abyss Watch is, is only about halfway through the game. I, I it's less than halfway through the game. A third of the way. Because the map isn't obvious what you really need to do. The line going from left to right shows it's quite short, but there are lots of, what do I want to say, like side roads, if you will, to other levels. There are a few alternate paths that open up just before the Abyss Watchers, and you do have quite a few choices at that point. I mean, depending on what order you do the bosses, and given that you did the Abyss Watchers before the Deacons of the Deep, it is relatively early in the game. We sat down and watched a speed run just before we started recording this, and as I showed you, the current world record holder goes from the start of the game, so literally creating the character and clicking start, to having beaten the Abyss Watchers in 15 minutes and 30 seconds. And they've already done the Deacons of the Deep, probably. No, no, they, they skipped the Deacons of the okay. Deep in that run. There's some mandatory... So, no, the Deacons of the Deep is supposed to be mandatory. Oh, they glitch it. Yeah, they glitch it. So that's why I was saying you are probably expected to have done the Deacons of the Deep before the Abyss Watchers if you're playing the way they expect you to. Because after the Abyss Watchers, you go into the Catacombs, which leads to Irithyll. And there's a barrier over the Irithyll Bridge that you can't cross unless you have the small doll, which you get from killing the Deacons of the Deep. Mm. So, so I've done it in a very odd way then, because after killing the Abyss Watchers, I made my way to the yeah. Cleansing Chapel. Yeah, so, and that would lead you to the, to the small doll, Deacons of the Deep. So I don't know if you even realise that after you've killed the Abyss Watchers, if you walk to the back of the room, the altar slides away and it leads to the catacombs. No, because I went back. No. The Soul series is full of these things, like hidden paths, and that's quite an obvious one, because it is actually mandatory that you go that way. But, again, as I was showing you on that speedrun, there are plenty of other paths that are much less obvious. I think it happened because when we were playing... I'm blaming you now. When we in the, the pre-swamp, not, not the real swamp, it's not, not Farron Keep, you said, oh, let's just push on. And then you said this bit is going to the Crystal Sage and that boss. You said, oh, it's optional. Oh, maybe I was just wrong then. But I had to go down there to take that on. Yeah, the Crystal Sage leads to yes. the Deacons. Okay, so maybe it's my fault for just encouraging you to keep pressing on. I was like, well, I think I was trying to lead you to the nearest bonfire. And I was like, okay, well, if you go down here, there'll be a bonfire. But down that ladder leads to, yeah, Farron Keep and the Abyss Watchers. It's fine, you know, but I, I, I trust you. I still trust you. It doesn't change anything. <laughs> well, you'd have had to do it eventually. <laughs> yeah, if you told me to jump off a cliff, I'd still do that. Well, that's another, that's another classic Souls thing where people leave messages like, try jumping at the edge of a cliff. But that's true. If you if you told me to do that on SharePlay, I would have done that. The SharePlay stuff was very amusing to watch. Uh, I remember watching you try and fail many, many times on Vort. And I was just like, just hit him. Just hit him. And you're like backing away and like going through your inventory. And I was like, just fucking hit him. And then you just get nailed. And I'm like, oh, ting. I remember on the the attempt where you actually succeeded, he had like a sliver of health left. And you were just backing away. And I was like, oh, geez, what the hell are you doing? And I was just thinking... I was getting ready to sigh and be like, well, let's try again. And you threw a firebomb and nailed him in the face as he charged at you. 
Yeah, I was impressed and relieved <laughs> that we didn't have to do it again. But we don't have any video evidence, which Sadly. is disappointing. Yeah, I, I'd forgotten that you could have just hit the button and uh, we could have had the video buffer, which is a shame. Feels a lot that you're proud of me. Yeah, I was. I was like, oh, Ting, well done. It's like, it's a risky move. Let's see if it pays off. But it paid off. So that one was okay. We should probably talk about the combat. I want to talk about the combat, but you're a veteran, so you don't care anymore, maybe. Uh, well, let's see what you have to say about it, because there's probably things I'm taking for granted that will be interesting to hear from your fresh perspective. Now, I really appreciate the combat loop. Taking on every enemy, I think, is quite enjoyable. And the fact that everything, or every mistake is your own. You can't blame the game. Yeah, Dark Souls is famous for being difficult, but all of the enemy's attacks are very telegraphed. If you are paying attention, everything is avoidable. Everything is, well, very few things are unavoidable. Nearly all the time, you should be able to see an attack coming and get out of the way. I think this is something that has changed as the series has progressed. The earlier games, so Dark Souls 1 certainly, you were encouraged to be much more defensive and the game was actually much easier to play if you went very heavy armour and carried a shield and just cowered behind your shield and only struck when it was definitely clear to do so. The later games, Bloodborne particularly, is all based around speed and being much more aggressive. And Dark Souls 3, I think, has picked up some of the Bloodborne style of play. So hiding behind a shield works, but being more aggressive, attacking more quickly is encouraged. And poise is something that you've probably never really experienced because it's the system in Dark Souls 3 is just really weird. So Dark Souls 1, certainly, poise really mattered. It made sense to try and stack poise because if you were attacking someone and they attacked you, if you had high poise, then you would just hit them and you couldn't be interrupted, essentially, if you had decent poise. Even if people were attacking you, you couldn't be stunlocked or staggered either if you had high poise in Dark Souls 1. Dark Souls 2 changed it so that it only took effect if you were in the middle of an animation. And Dark Souls 3, poise appears to do absolutely F all. A bug? Well, uh, there's been a lot of debate about whether it's a bug or whether it's intentional because there seems to be a flag in the code that they can flip. And when they flip the flag, poise behaves like it does in the earlier games. But it seems to be deliberately turned off. So I can only imagine it's deliberate to try and encourage you to play more aggressively and to try and encourage, I guess, a more fluid playstyle rather than just tanking everything and just smacking things every now and then. You can't just spam attacks and poise through all of their counters. You can't just take a massive swing at an enemy anytime and know that if you've got high poise, your attack's going to connect because if you are swinging a big slow weapon and they hit you with a dagger you're going to get staggered and your attack's never going to hit them. So you've got to have more control and more tactics about thinking, when's the time to do this attack? When is a good opening? That makes sense. Yeah, so they're, they're encouraging a different style of play and I can only assume it's deliberate because it, they've dropped several patches and poise is still, in air quotes, broken. So, Okay. I wanted to talk about bosses as well. I thought... They were quite gimmicky. I don't know if that's the right word. 
you know, it's do this, then that, then that, then you'll kill the boss. Thing is, a boss has to be learned, and I didn't like that necessarily. This is really interesting to hear you say the bosses are really gimmicky. Because you, you mentioned bosses in Zelda when we talked about Majora's Mask, and the Zelda bosses are really gimmicky. Yeah. Each boss is a very deliberately a gimmick. And Dark Souls, I would say most bosses are not gimmicky. There are a few really gimmicky bosses that I might mention in a second, but most of the bosses, they have a distinct moveset that you have to learn, but they fundamentally follow the same rules. So every boss is just about knowing when they're going to attack, knowing when's a good opening, being able to read their big one-shot moves, seeing when they're coming and knowing when to dodge. And in most cases, you kill the boss by hitting it. You know how your weapon works. You know your moveset. You should know when's an appropriate time to go in and take a swing. Uh, There are very few bosses where you have to kill it in a very specific way. I mean, the two bosses I would say are very gimmicky in Dark Souls 3 are Yorm the Giant, where you pretty much have to use Storm Ruler, a weapon that's in the boss room, and use a special attack of that weapon. So your normal attacks do minimal damage, but the Storm Ruler special attack will do several thousand damage. It's a reference to Demon Souls. So there's lots of fan service in the game, actually. I mean, we should talk about that a separate time. And then the other very gimmicky boss, I think, is the Ancient Wyvern at Arch Dragon Peak, where it's kind of like a gauntlet. It's just an environmental puzzle. You actually have to run through this gauntlet of enemies while you're being attacked by this big fire-breathing dragon thing. And you have to kill it by doing a plunging attack on its head. Which is weird, because none of the other bosses in the game work like this. You one-shot it with a plunging attack, even if you're just punching it. So you can be chopping at its feet with, you know, this enormous two-handed greatsword or demon great axe or something, and it'll do trivial damage. But if you jump off the top of this uh, tower after you've managed to get through this gauntlet of enemies and punch it in the head, it will die in one hit. So So the gauntlet leads you to the top of the tower yes okay so you you naturally yeah it and there are like developer messages on the ground that say like plunging attack try plunging attack okay it's by far the most gimmicky boss fight and the one i enjoyed the least but the rest of the fights in the game i think i don't think they're that gimmicky really i think they are they're more just about applying the rules you know and that you've learned in the rest of the game i think i know what you mean because the alternative is to have some if you're using exactly the same as what you use for the minions, you're going to do something like Division, where this has become a sponge for attacks. Well, I, I think the Dark Souls bosses are really interesting. I think they're some of the most fun bits of the game. Although you, I think, from your expression, I think you think differently. I really suffer from soul stress. And you didn't really summon people, did you? Never. Whereas I summon people all the time. I think my first playthrough, I'm always just like, oh, let's just have fun. If it's not going well, I'm just going to summon someone. So I summon people quite a lot. My general way of playing through the game was I would find the boss fog. I would put down my summon sign and get summoned so I would see what the boss was like. Then I would try and fight the boss on my own. And if I failed a few times, I'd just use an ember and then summon someone else. I did consider it for the Abyss Watchers. One of my friends in the US, he offered to help. But because of the timing, it was quite hard. I was really running out out of ideas, but I just had to upgrade my weapon. Something as simple as that made all the difference. And change my armour to something fireproof. 
I mean, these are all obvious things to do. Just saying. Not to me. Yeah. You don't really play RPGs either, though, do you? So I guess all of these obvious things are are not obvious to you. I don't think about leaving an alternative armor set to switch to if the occasion rises. I yeah, because one- I saw that actually as well. I saw you were trying to keep your inventory tidy and you were putting everything in your stash. And if you look at my character, everything I picked up in the game, I'm carrying. I don't put anything in the stash. So normally I would just sell everything. I'm glad you told me not to sell everything. Could have been harder. Yeah, well, I was playing for fashion souls. I think I mostly dressed my character for what looked good rather than what was expedient. It's really funny when when we played The Division because you're so happy when you pick something (laughs) up. Oh my God, I got some skinny jeans. Yeah, that was the funniest thing. Like You were all going on about how you got these guns. I was like, guys, I got skinny jeans. I got grey skinny jeans from the incursion. (laughs) I'm just so surprised how excited you are. I'm surprised at myself as well, actually. I don't know when this happened. Anyway, I want to talk about difficulty as well, if that's okay. Or did you want to keep talking about bosses, summons, and... Oh, no, let's talk about difficulty. You think the difficulty is right. Would you want a difficulty selection? This is a really interesting point about Dark Souls 3 versus Dark Souls 2. Dark Souls 2, when it came out, I think a lot of people were disappointed in it because it was quite different in a number of ways to the first game. But some of the things it did were actually very, very smart and people didn't really appreciate it until Dark Souls 3 has come out and reversed a lot of those decisions. So the difficulty of Dark Souls, I don't think there should be a selector. I think Dark Souls should be Dark Souls. That's part of what, that's part of what makes it. And there's the whole mentality of just get good you know if you're not good enough to finish dark souls then you're not going to finish the game and i think that's something i'm i miss in modern games and that's why i think i do enjoy playing really torturous painful stuff like space chem or steven sausage roll but dark souls 2 actually was much more subtle about it it did effectively have difficulty modes that were not in your face Because the problem of having a difficulty selector is you just feel guilty if you pick easy or you feel like, oh, I should put it on hard because I'm, you know, I'm good at these games. I should put it on hard. Dark Souls 2, as I mentioned, if you kill an enemy 10 times, it won't respawn. So that's a subtle way of helping you out. If you're really stuck on an area, then you don't have to laboriously work your way through those enemies over and over and over again to get another shot at the boss. It's it's reducing the frustration. You could just run straight in and have another try. And another subtle mechanic was when you die in a Souls game, you drop all your souls. And if you die again while they're dropped, then they're just gone forever. But there's a ring you can put on called the Ring of Sacrifice. And if you die while wearing the ring, then you keep all your souls and the ring breaks instead. In Dark Souls 2, the ring does not permanently break. You can repair it. So once you find a ring of sacrifice, and there's one relatively early in the game, the penalty for dying is 3,000 souls. Instead of the penalty being you go hollow and you lose all your souls, you will just lose 3,000 souls, which is what it costs to repair the ring. Dark Souls 3, you can put on one of those rings, you get one really early on in the game, but when it breaks, it's gone forever. So it's back to the Dark Souls 1 mechanics. I did think I would drop my items as well. It's not that cruel. (laughs) Thankfully, it doesn't. 
Yeah, so Minecraft is harder than Dark Souls. I just don't like death. I don't like failing. I don't like... I think it's a mentality. It really is. Yeah, I I mean, I've become much more zen about it in the Souls games, I think. I just expect that I'm going to die a lot, at least to begin with. And it's just something you have to get used to. It's just not a big deal. And especially early on, you know, a few thousand souls is a big deal at the beginning of the game. But later on, you'll get several thousand souls just by killing a regular enemy. So the cost of dying, it's not actually that bad. Yeah, it's not actually that bad. Yeah, just, you know, if you, if you lose 3,000 souls, whatever. But that's what made it so great that you were there at the beginning, because you made me just fucking YOLO it. And not just... Actually, the right word is procrastinate. Sometimes <laughs> I'm just procrastinating in the filing shrine. But I, I do know what you mean. It's dying in games, you're usually trying to avoid dying, and it does feel uncomfortable when you die. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I haven't seen you playing it in person, and you don't have a face cam when you're playing it, so I don't know what your expression is when you die, but I realised from playing it on stream with a face cam that when I die, I tend to actually smile and laugh like, oh, well, I died again. I'm much more ambivalent about it than, than I thought I was, actually. I feel relieved. When I die, I feel relieved. There's no longer the pressure to keep myself alive, which is a lot like real life. It's like, oh, geez, I've got to remember to breathe. I've got to remember to breathe or I wasn't going to die. I know what you're talking about because horror games I have a lot of trouble with, the pressure to keep yourself alive. And in a horror game, you really don't want to die. Like the penalty for dying in a horror game is you have to reload your save game. You have to go back however far it was usually. But yeah, in the Souls games, the Souls games are in many ways like a horror game. You never know what's around the corner. You never know what's going to suddenly jump out and stab you in the face. But actually, if you die, you know, the clues in the name, I think, from Dark Souls 1, Prepare to Die Edition, you know, they expect you to die. When it comes to comparing Dark Souls 3 to the previous Dark Souls games, oh, they, they said this is the last one they're going to do. And there is a lot of fan service for fans of the first game particularly. There are many, many references to the first game. There are a few to the second game, but far fewer. And mechanics-wise, it behaves a lot more like the first game. But I think a lot of it is probably lost on you because you haven't played the other games and also because you didn't finish it. And I think you're not as invested in, certainly in the story. Yep. And I think a lot of the references to the world as well are lost on you, which is a shame. So you think I'm missing out? Or I'm enjoying it less? I think so. I think so. That may be true. I'm thinking big story moments that you would have missed out on and related to the world design as well. Anor Londo is a massive thing. Like when you discover Anor Londo again, that's a huge thing. Like a huge throwback and thinking, wait, this is the same world as Dark Souls 1. I'm back and seeing it goodness knows how long after the first game and the many references to the characters in Dark Souls 1 again like it's tying up several storylines that were left ambiguous before or picking up storylines that were left hanging so Aldrich the Devourer has clearly eaten Gwendolyn who's a boss from Dark Souls 1 and I guess canonically you must not have killed him in Dark Souls 1 because he's there for Aldrich to eat or again like a super secret boss the Nameless King who is clearly uh, Gwyn's firstborn, like the god of war, whose name is struck from the annals 
and they never really explain why in Dark Souls 1, but in Dark Souls 3 it's clearly because he sided with the dragons and you fight him at Arch Dragon Peak riding on the back of a dragon. So there's there are big payoffs to people who've been following the series uh, from the first game, certainly. There's so many notes in the game that are picked up on from the first game, and I, I can't really... I don't want to just go into some massive rambling mess about the lore of Dark Souls. The By yourself as the pro- protagonist, is it clear what you are because you've played Dark Souls 1 and 2? So No, it's none of it's clear. So Dark Souls, all of the Souls games, the story is not clear. The story... They don't feed you the story. You have to work for it. The characters will tell you bits of story, but there's more in the descriptions of items. And even in the world itself, if you go around, you'll see bits of scenery and they are hinting at things. So some of the statues or maybe there'll be a gravestone with a sword by it. And that's implying something in the story and it's just not in your face. You have to actually be looking for it. It's also like the real world just because someone says something to you doesn't mean it's true. So characters may tell you things, but that doesn't mean it's the truth. It's just their interpretation of events or what they think is true, but maybe they don't know either. They're just filling in the gaps. I really like the story, but it's it's deliberately ambiguous in places and it's weird and doesn't necessarily make total logical sense. But there are many big payoffs and many big references in this game and yeah as someone who's played the first game as well the ending or the last boss was very satisfying for example so fighting the soul of cinder and then when you beat him the first time in his second phase when he takes on the appearance of essentially Gwyn, the boss from the first game and the piano comes in playing the theme from the first game's final boss fight it's like closing the loop, completing the circle. I don't know, this is all lost in you, so... <laughs> I, I feel like I'm talking to the void. So you, you yourself don't know what being unkindled means, for instance? Well, I, I've i said it before, but I watch far too many YouTube videos, so... That's why you're talking and I'm listening. <laughs> so I do quite like to watch these videos for... Well, I, as well as Dark Souls speedruns. There are quite a few good uh, like lore series for Dark Souls. So the two, I think two of the big ones are ENB and Varty Vidya. And they both will do videos kind of explaining the story of Dark Souls. Or, or well, of all of the Souls games. So I can't remember which one. I think it was Varty who did a video particularly about what it means to be unkindled. And saying, what's the difference between being unkindled and being undead? Because... In the first two games, you were explicitly referred to as being undead. But in Dark Souls 3, you're referred to as being unkindled. And it's all about the cycle of ages of light and dark and trying to to link the fire. So the unkindled are undead who previously tried and failed to link the fire. Whereas the Lords of Cinder are ones that succeeded. So... The age of fire is fading and the expectation is that, well, the dead are rising again, like the bell of awakening rings and someone has to link the fire and it should be one of the Lords of Cinder, but they've all left their thrones. And so you as an unkindled have been awakened to, well, ostensibly bring back the Lords of Cinder to force them to link the fire. But since they don't, then you have to link it instead. And that's the, the link the fire ending. 
That was quite nice, actually. <laughs> I feel like this is a weird episode. I think all these book club episodes, yeah. they are... They're always slightly too structured and at the same time not structured enough. I think we kind of go all over the place and say a lot of stuff, but it's never that... I don't know how to deliver it in an interesting way. I feel like these YouTube videos do a much better job of delivering the lore. Because they've already scripted it in advance and then they just focus on delivery afterwards. Yeah, whereas we're just having a rambly mess as usual. Yeah, but it's, it's whether we want to be knowledgeable or just want to be funny. I think we just like to not be boring, so I'm not sure how this one's Ooh. coming across. <laughs> That's what we want. From a mechanic standpoint, then, seeing as I don't think you appreciated the story, but did you appreciate the mechanics? We already talked about the combat, but the other things, I guess, are the world design, the quest design. It's quite different to, I think, other games you would have played. The world design this time, I think, is definitely not as good as Dark Souls 1. It's closer to Dark Souls 1 than Dark Souls 2, but I still didn't think it was that good. There are moments when it's quite impressive. When you, you look at where you were from a different perspective. Yeah, so the so this is... One of the ways it's like Dark Souls 1 and not 2 is that the world is a real world. It makes geographical sense. From the beginning of the game when you beat Vought and you are looking out over that broken bridge before you raise the banner, you can go and see in the distance the village at the foot of the high wall. You can see Farren Keep. You can see the Cathedral of the Deep. You can even see Irithyll off in the distance. So the world is a real world that makes geographical sense. Unlike Dark Souls 2, where it's just total madness. You've got areas overlapping areas. You you can take a lift from inside a castle and end up on top of a volcano. Or, no, or under a volcano, even. It just makes no sense at all. So that's very good, but it's somehow much less interesting it's quite it's a linear path and i think that's why i was slightly disappointed so you were looking over at that vista and you can see oh there's the keep there's irithyll in the distance but you literally are walking from that point from point a to point b whereas dark souls one and i think this is also like a game design issue in dark souls one you can't warp between bonfires until very near the end of the game. How do you fast travel? So you don't. You have to walk everywhere. But as a result of that, there are many more shortcuts in the world to get from point A to point B. And that makes the world much, much, much more interesting. There are many hidden lifts or hidden gates that only open one way. There are a few shortcuts in Dark Souls 3. So there are a few shortcuts in Dark Souls 3, but they're, they're nowhere near as striking as the ones in the first game. So in the first game... There are areas that you would have no idea are connected until you find some door or some key. And then you realise, oh, this area is above that area. And then when you are then standing on a ledge and you can look out, you realise, oh, it really is there. I just I just didn't notice at the time. So I feel that the world design is is less interesting, unfortunately. But I think this is just a consequence of having fast travel. There's less pressure to try and make this really dense, interconnected world. For a new player. I thought the levels were well put together because there are shortcuts. They're very few and it's linear by area, but the area within the area itself, you're open to explore as you, as you so wish. It's certainly not bad. I think I'm just probably expecting too much and being unfair as usual. Yeah, you should. Uh, and then the other thing is 
the quests. So there are many NPCs that have quest lines to follow. I had no idea what was going on with the quest lines, if I'm honest. So I think we talked about before with Majora's Mask that unusually for a Zelda game, they don't mind locking things out from you. So if you make a mistake or you give an item to person A, then person B's quest is just done and you you can't progress it further. But it's not that much pressure because you can just reset the clock and try it again. In Dark Souls, if you screw up a quest, then it will just lock you out. And that's it for that playthrough. And as you've experienced, a playthrough is going to take tens of hours, (laughs) at least the first time through. So I think both of us managed to kill off an NPC by accident. We both, I think, rescued Yol of Londor from the bridge. And then we both didn't take him up on his offer to draw out our true strength. Yep. And then we came back one time after killing a boss and he was dead. And it turns out that's actually locked out a massive, a massive, massive quest line that leads to a, an alternate ending. So both of us haven't experienced that. And the only way to experience it is to start the game again. Now you're a fan of that kind of game design. This is the sort of game design that I really liked when I had more time. Because if if this is the only game you've got and you want replayability and you want to feel like your decisions matter, then this is great. Because there's all sorts of secrets, there's all sorts of things that are hidden that is going to take you ages to figure out. There's so many lore implications as well from when you find some of these hidden areas. Like, again, I was showing you on this uh, speedrun the untended graves which is like a massive hidden area that again there's essentially no reference to it there's no way for you to know it's there unless you happen to hit this wall and discover essentially violent shrine but in the world of dark after the flame has gone out or before the flame has been rekindled and and it's massive storyline implications and a really interesting area as well with optional bosses and it's hiding a whole alternate ending of the game again but what was my original point? <laughs> Draw his mask. Yeah, the it does make playing the game more stressful because if you don't have that much time and you're trying to have your one perfect playthrough, I was very stressed by Dark Souls 1 the first time I played it because that was the first Souls game I played. And I was very much of the impression that I'm only going to play this game once. I want to make sure I get it right first time. And I spent absolutely ages reading the wiki and trying to get it all straight in my head about, well, this is going to happen with this person and I have to do this, otherwise that NPC will die. And I want to make sure I can use this weapon. So I need to do my build like this and then doing all this research about which areas connected to which areas and which weapons drop from which areas and how much strength I would need to lift this weapon and all sorts of stuff. And then I realized after going through all that effort and trying to remember it, that I should have just played the game and had fun. I should have just YOLO'd my way through the game and just not stressed about it. I think this is a lot of pressure about, I mean, this probably says something about you and me both as like our personalities or characters about, you know, we don't want to fail. We don't want to mess up. We never want to make a mistake, but it's fine. Just play and enjoy it. And it doesn't matter if you get locked out of a quest line. It doesn't matter if I find an awesome weapon, but it's totally wrong for my build. And I'd have to put loads of effort in to change my build if I wanted to use it. Or maybe I'll have to start again and do my character completely differently to take advantage of it. It's fine. Like I'm not going to judge you, but you're going to judge me. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the difference. Well, I think I think I realised that 
the amount of time I put in trying to make that one perfect playthrough for Dark Souls, I could have just played the game twice. That's feels like that's true. It feels like that's true for me. And so on the Souls games now, certainly, I'm just yellowing through them. I'm just doing what feels like a good idea at the time. And at the end of that first playthrough, if I really feel like I want to get a perfect playthrough, well, with the experience I've got from the first one, I've got a much better chance of being able to do it. And the wiki is going to make much more sense when you read it, when you actually know what it really means. So I can also say I've just never really felt the need to do a perfect playthrough after that. After that first playthrough, if I want to do something, I'll do a very focused playthrough just to do that one thing. I have started another Dark Souls playthrough as a magic user to get the Lord of Hollows, Yule of Londor ending instead. So I'm very deliberately now trying to become Lord of Hollows, becoming undead, getting the Dark Sigil from Yol. Sorry, this means nothing to you if you haven't played quite a lot of Dark Souls 3. I haven't read the wiki, probably. So, yeah, so doing a second playthrough, but or, or doing multiple playthroughs, it's just not a big deal. I feel like my dislike for Dishonored is because I overthought it. I didn't YOLO it. And I think that's the, that is the thing in today's society. I think there is a lot of pressure to not be a failure. Failing is uncomfortable. Like in the same way that dying in a game is uncomfortable. You don't want to do it. And gaming is quite competitive as well. And, and yeah, it's quite competitive. And it's like the whole, oh, get good. It's like, oh, you just suck. You just need to get good. But I feel that's why a lot of games now shy away from this. And they're like, going, no, 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 don't worry. Your decisions don't really matter. You'll never get locked out. You can always experience everything. You know, there's just no consequences anymore. Like but, Fallout 4. But that's not what, that's not what real life is like, number one. Just saying. And number two, it's better to fail fast. You know, that's another thing. You shouldn't be afraid of failure. If you're so afraid of failure that you never try, that's worse than trying and failing and learning something from it. Life pro tips from Mike. <laughs> Having said that, I totally don't take my own advice. So, <laughs> <laughs> Fail fast. <laughs> fail fast, yeah. So that's why I'm going to go and live in my mum's basement. No, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> I'm not sure what else I wanted to say. I'm not sure were there are any other real major bombshells I wanted to drop for Dark Souls 3. I mean, did you enjoy it? I'm very curious because this is your first Souls game. Maybe it's going to be the only Souls game you play. I did enjoy it. More than I thought. The first, those first two hours were really painful. You even offered me an out. You said, Ting, it's fine. I'm really sorry for making you play this. You can stop now if you like. I didn't. I was never going to do that. I can't believe you offered it. I actually, I'm a little bit hurt that you offered me that exit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I played it. I, you know, that combat loop makes all the difference for me. Do you have any interest in playing any of the others? Not off my own back. But I'd be much more excited if you said we had to. Okay. So I guess your position is you now kind of understand why people like the series, oh, but definitely. you personally do not enjoy it. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. Also, maybe it's because I'm a bit of a wuss. I don't like the aesthetic too much. But it's not... The thought of the jump scares, that's the problem, but they're not there, really. There are, there are very few actual jump scares. Yeah. It's more that you'll turn a corner and very obviously there's going to be something there and you're thinking, oh, 
I really do not want to fight this thing. I know it's going to just smack me in the face with like a tree branch or something. Well, fuck it. No, a tree, literally a tree. But you know, you've got to do it. Yes, exactly. It's not the most comfortable game in the world. At least leave it at that. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it. Did I enjoy it as much as... This is actually a really funny point. Because although I say I've played the Souls games, how much have I really played the Souls games? I actually haven't played and finished any of the expansions for the Souls games. So I've I've never finished Artorius of the Abyss for Dark Souls. I've never played any of the expansions for Dark Souls 2. I do own them now because I bought Scholar of the First Sin for PC. But I haven't actually played it. So it's not like I'm some deep well of knowledge when it comes to the Souls games and I really know them. I I enjoy them, but I probably play them relatively casually because there's always more games to play and how much time am I going to devote to them? I, I actually really would like to go back and play them. I just It just never seems like a good time. And it's the Steam sale at the moment and I've just bought a load of other games. So goodness knows when I'm going to do it. Maybe when I retire. Which will be quite soon. <laughs> oh, wouldn't that be nice? But no, unfortunately, I think it's still uh, a long way away. But you're not so desperate that you want to be involved in some accident that has a massive payout, but leaves you with two hands, at least, and your sight and your hearing. <laughs> you know, I was very stressed at my work last year. I think last year I, I did tell you I walked into traffic a couple of times without looking both ways, just in the off chance I might get clipped by a bus. But fortunately, <laughs> it was fine. And uh, my job stress has declined significantly, so... So now I know to wait for the green man, especially since I got my freaking jaywalking fine. So uh, Has the money exited your account? I sent it yesterday. I sent it yesterday because otherwise they said they'd issue a warrant for my arrest if I didn't pay by July the 2nd. (laughs) So, fun times in the criminal underworld. But the Souls games, I mean, you suggested, in fact, I think we both suggested that should we give a score to the games that we're playing, but I'm not sure... I'm not sure we're in a position to really do it. Certainly not for this one, is my gut feel. I, I don't know what score I would give it. And there's a, there's a weird meta discussion to be had as well, but what do we mean by a score? Like, are we scoring it in a vacuum? Are we scoring it relative to other games? Are we scoring it relative to the other games in the series? And have we really played enough of it to feel like it's appropriate to give it a score? No, we'll never play enough to give it a score. So that's our, that should be our massive disclaimer. Because otherwise we're just going to get shat on by everyone. And otherwise you would die a bit inside if if you really thought that we could. Being like a snob and a, like a proper gamer. You know we're not qualified. You wouldn't want us to give a score to anything, right? Well, I secretly do quite enjoy it. I like, you know, we were joking last time. It's like, oh, what would you give it? 7.8. 7.8. Yeah, but I... I don't know what score I would give this. Is what, say was my very long-winded way of saying I'm actually not sure what score I would give this. No, but we can just say, "Oh, this is our score, but we're shysters. Don't take us seriously. Our parents don't." I think so. I think my score for Dark Souls Three is it made me appreciate Dark Souls Two more, and I didn't quite like it as much as Dark Souls One, but I did enjoy it a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> figure out where that goes on the Metacritic scale. I need to know where Dark Souls One goes. <laughs> that doesn't mean it gets the same or less numeric score than Dark Souls 1 oh yeah that's true it shouldn't be like that it's not like I'm trying to give a more nuanced opinion but 
Yes. Yeah, it's like Unreal Tournament is 1% worse than Quake 3 Arena. That's ridiculous. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, if 1% doesn't make a difference, then 5% doesn't really make a difference. 10% and, does, though. And, well, Stephen Sausage Roll has 90. So does that mean you have to play it now? <laughs> I've actually, I've made quite a lot of progress in Stephen Sausage Roll. I think, sorry, this is like a total tangent. Go on. We can't, we can't end without a tangent. I feel like I have achieved some moment of clarity and I, I understand, I understand the complex web relationships between sausages and forks and the turning mechanics. I was stuck on a level called Twisty Farm for two hours. And then I suddenly, while doing something else, had a flash of insight and had to walk back to my computer, turn it on. And just immediately solved the level. And I was like, oh, now I get why everyone was saying this game is good. Have you resorted to pen and paper yet? No. It would have worked though. Yeah, but, well, no, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. That's why I think, I, I, I do understand now why everyone's raving about Steven Sausage Roll. It is very clever. It does a lot with very little. Hidden depths. You see, that's a real... Oh, we should talk about it later. Because you, you have to finish Stephen Sausage Rolls to rate it, but I wonder if anyone reviewed it without finishing the game. Yeah, that's a question. I wonder how many of the reviews have come out from people who haven't finished it. And I wonder if that ever happened with The Witness. I'm sure it did. I think a lot of people do review games without finishing them. And I think that's why this conversation is interesting in the context of we both suggested we should start giving scores to these games, but I'm but not sure. Surely we believe that as a minimum, you must finish the game to be qualified to review it. I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't know. Well, depends on the game. Some games are unfinishable. Yeah, exactly. That's really what I'm trying to get at. That's really what I'm trying to get at. This is a fun meta topic. We should have this another day. Yeah, we should. Because I think some games you would score more highly if you hadn't finished them. And there are other games that you would score much more highly if you had. Some games are just a drag. The ending is the ending makes it worse. In other games, the ending is a massive payout. And if you missed the ending, you just wasted your time. Yeah, agreed. On that note? On that random tangent, rambly mess note. We're not going to give a score, right? Oh, I gave my score. (laughs) (laughs) I gave my opinion, yeah. It wasn't a number. Fine. You can give a number if you like. I'm not giving a number. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us on email. Mike.and.ting at lostlevels.club. You can find us on Twitter. At Lost Levels Club. And you can find us on Twitch. As Lost Levels Club. But that's it. That is it. So I really like the time when you did a fierce allow you all to finish. <laughs> it's kind of rude. I actually typed in allow this phrase and to see what the origin of allow this was or allow that because i'd never like i said before i'd never heard it until really recently but it's not a recent thing it's been around a long time i just totally had never heard it so you have to say allow this allow you all oh god (laughs) we just had like a oh shit water water okay so the pillow fort is collapsing i think that means the podcast's over (laughs) Bye. <laughs> what, you want me to say it? 
Yeah. <laughs> allow this. Allow that. Allow you all. <laughs> Bye.